the yen and the renminbi are both sharply high this morning after the People's Bank of China threatened to intervene. And the relatively new Bank of Japan governor suggested a pivot, finally, to tighter monetary policy. That's coming up in our five things in five minutes. Then in our bonus deep dive interview, we'll find out what's happening with the New Zealand government's budget on the eve of an election. It does look like there is a very high risk that the return to surplus does get pushed out a year. But first, in 5 and 5 with ANZ. Number one, China's renminbi, the CNH, is sharply higher this morning after the People's Bank of China warned speculators it was confident it could keep the currency stable. That followed a record high margin for the daily fix versus what markets expected. The CNH is around 7.3 to the dollar this morning. It had been as low as 7.36 yesterday. Here's ANZ's head of FX research, Marjabin Zaman. It is really ongoing intervention uh, to sort of try to keep a cap on further weakening for the UN broadly. I think that's in play right now. Number two, the yen has also bounced very sharply over the last 24 hours on reported comments from the new Bank of Japan governor, Kazuo Ueda, suggesting a pivot to tighter monetary policy. We've also seen a rise in Japan's 10-year bond yield to as high as 0.71% this morning. Yesterday, it had started at 0.64%. Normally, that is a very stable bond yield. Here's Marja Bean again. There was an article over the weekend where Governor Ueda said that maybe if BOJ becomes confident that prices and wages are going up sustainably, they could consider you know, ending their negative interest rate policy as one of the options. So I think any immediate reaction to this has been in the currency and also in 10-year JGBs, now trading at 0.7%, uh, which is a high post-YCC tweak. So it's quite a record high that we are seeing for the Japanese as well. Number three, all of this drama in Asian currencies has rubbed off generally to weaken the US dollar against a bunch of other currencies, including the Australian and New Zealand dollars, which are back above 64 and 59 US cents respectively this morning. The euro is also a bit stronger. Number four, India's CPI inflation rose to a 15-month high in July. ANZ's economist for India, Diraj Nim, is watching food price inflation in India. We'll get the numbers for August today. In particular, the stickier prices for non-perishable food, such as cereals and pulses. We want to see how those food prices fare, especially for things like cereals and pulses and the weighty items in consumption basket. And, and we also want to see what happens to core inflation, because so far, the RBI has been taking a bit of comfort from the fact that core inflation has been decelerating, which means that monetary tightening has been working. So if the core inflation accelerates, that would be a bit of a problem. But we are hoping that it would remain steady in August. Number five, staying with food, ANZ's head of food, beverage and agribusiness insight, Michael Whitehead, reports there's very strong demand from the United States for Australian manufacturing beef. That's the ground up mince kind. What's happening in the US right now is that because of bad weather, they've had to get rid of so many of their cattle and they have the lowest herd since the 1970s. And it looks like their herd numbers may keep going down for a few more years yet. So this means that the Americans not only need more of our manufacturing beef for their burgers and their fast food, but they need more of our good steak as well to go into their fine restaurants because they've got less of their own at home. 
It also means less competition for Australia in other markets where we normally compete with the Americans, particularly China, Japan and South Korea. Like a whitehead there. Now it's time for our bonus deep dive interview. Later today, New Zealand's Treasury will release its pre-election fiscal update. Here's ANZ senior New Zealand economist Miles Workman to unpack what a prefu is and why it matters. Ultimately, in normal times, uh, the New Zealand Treasury produces two sets of forecasts where they basically open up the government's books and look at the economy and the tax outlook and they take government decisions and incorporate that all into the uh, economic and fiscal forecasts. But when it's an election year, they often do a third set of forecasts, and that's called a pre-election economic and fiscal update, which we just call the prefu. Now, the prefu's uh, a full set of forecasts, so the Treasury once again opens the books, it puts together a economic and tax outlook, and then it takes any decisions that the government's made since budget, and it puts those into the forecasts as well, provided that they are government policy, official government policy, policy, not election promises. They get treated differently further down the track. But ultimately, it's a it's a new set of forecasts basically designed to uh, inform the public and any incoming government about the state of the books on this side of the election, so that when the election uh, comes and goes, that incoming government uh, isn't met with any major surprises. What do you expect the Treasury will say about when the government might be back into surplus? Yeah, well, a deterioration in both the revenues side uh, and possibly on the automatic stabiliser side, which could basically mean the government might even be needing to spend more, even though they've lowered their discretionary spending plans. You put those two things together and it does look like there is a very high risk that the return to surplus does get pushed out a year. Uh, So in budget, they were forecasting a return to surplus in the year to June 2026. We think that that's more likely to be pushed out to the year to June 2027. There is a risk here that if the Treasury produce a set of forecasts at the pre-election update and and downside economic risks materialise over the coming year or two, uh, we could quite easily be talking a return to surplus uh, 2027-2028 in a a more pessimistic scenario. Just stepping back and looking overall at the government's fiscal situation and uh, what that implies for government bonds, how much buffer is there in the um, the outlook for the government in terms of its credit rating and uh, how international investors and local investors view those bonds, given that uh, there's been a, a deficit for a while now and uh, debt has increased. Is it a, a worrying situation or is, is it just something that gets fed into the price? Yeah, well, I mean, if all goes well, this increase in bond supply uh, will only impact the price and the Treasury will be able to get those bonds out the door uh, and the taxpayer just ends up with with a higher interest cost because there's been such a large increase in bond supply. That, that's the best case scenario. There, there is also a scenario where Treasury are required to issue so many bonds that the market demand is just not there and that the markets actually become dysfunctional. Now, if that was to happen, then you know you might expect the Reserve Bank to have to do something about it. Perhaps they stop their quantitative tightening. Because at the end of the day, 
New Zealand is a very small market in global terms and in terms of sovereign bond markets. Uh, we have, you know, relatively low liquidity. Um, so it, it is one of those things that, you know, there is a risk here and there is certainly a limit to how many bonds uh, the market can take down. Miles Workman there. I'm Bernard Hickey. That was 5 and 5 with ANZ for Tuesday, September the 12th. Catch you tomorrow with a deep dive into the relentless growth of grain farming in Australia. This podcast contains general information only, not investment advice. You should obtain advice for your personal circumstances before making any investment decisions. Please view the podcast disclaimer available via your media player or email.